come celebrate the holidays at the National Army Museum in Alexandria, Virginia. Jump in the VR simulators to ride Santa's jet-powered sleigh. Or fly over frozen landscape in the Great Glacier Race. Enjoy special deals and discounts at the museum store and cafe every Saturday in December from 3 to 5. And bring your out-of-town friends and family, too, because admission and parking are free. Celebrate the holidays at the National Army Museum. A full list of holiday fun is at usarmymuseum.org. That's usarmymuseum.org. It's the Alexandra and Friends podcast, and we're covering the everyday issues of life, health, and wealth. And as always, we have a great panel of experts with us. Here is your host, Alexandra Fincher. Good evening. Welcome to Alexandra and Friends 660 The Answer. Thank you so much for coming on Saturday night again to listen to our wonderful program. And thank you for all your wonderful remarks on our website. We uh, uh, This show is brought to you every Saturday night by Miller Title, Roberto Perez. Our, my co-host this evening is Billy Tatum Hello. with uh, Structure Foundation. Our uh, producer, Michael Clark. Good evening. And uh, Courtney is not here today. Uh, her mother passed away Saturday a week ago. And we want to send our condolences to the family and to her. And we miss her. And she knows that we're here for her. Courtney, we love you. And I hope everything goes well. Love you, Courtney. Hi, Courtney. So anyway, this evening we have an amazing show. But before we start our show... Let's go to the Clark children to listen to the Pledge of Allegiance because they are amazing. So we'll take just a second and we'll come back. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If you are looking to go to listen to podcasts, sign up on our alexandraandfriends.com website or on our Facebook, Alexandra Friends 660. Join us on our podcast every Saturday night. You'll be able to hear a new adventure and a new journey of one of our wonderful guests. Well, we have an amazing guest this evening, but before that, I want to just go to Billy and see how his week was because he has some amazing news to tell us. <laughs> Hello, Billy. Hi. How was uh, your week? Good week, still busy as ever at work, but I did take time to go meet with uh, Jody. Oh, our guest from last week. For huh? 3D Perspectives, yeah, or week before, yeah. Jody, um, is that Jody Wallace? Jody Wallace. Wallace. 3D Perspectives, so I went to her house and. Um, and you got hypnotized? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's what's wrong with him today. <laughs> interesting. No, we went to her house and she obviously has a process. And so. I think what it was, I was just getting familiar with what she does, but obviously she's been doing this a long time. She yeah. knows what she's doing, right. which is why I went there. When she said she's been doing it since the 90s, I'm like, you know what? This must be good. It must be worth a shot. So, yeah, we had a lot to talk about. I definitely have to go back again because I'm probably more than she's used to. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. But one thing, um, one thing I'll notice or note that, she did give me a, a thing. I'm not going to say it's hypnosis, but it was something to say and to to put my finger. I'm not going to show you all. But okay, you don't have to. It's not bad, but she, you know, place your finger here and, and say this word if you're just having a moment. Mm-hmm. And I've tried that. It and actually kind of works. Your finger? He's not, not going to no. show you. He said that. No, right? I don't want y'all doing it. You're going to be walking around mocking me. Everybody on radio is going to see him. I didn't even tell my friends. They're like, where? I'm like, nope. What's the word? Nope. You not don't saying. Have to. It's just like not saying. It's 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 tr- it's kind well, of you know, it's a treatment. A guy like me, I'm like, well, what's the science behind this? Right. But there is no science. The brain we haven't figured out the brain yet. But that's true. She has a lot of insights to it. Cool. So 
How did you I, feel afterwards? Well, anytime I do anything that I say I'm going to do, I feel better. Showing up was part of the battle. Because you're so busy. I am. Matter of fact, I was late to my next appointment because I was just squeezing her in like always. Wow. So yeah. um, I felt better. I'm going to have to schedule another one with her. And, and she said it would take more. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have a goal. I'm not going to share it right now, but that's I think okay. I'll get there. <laughs> and that's, and okay. that's important. That, you have to have goals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you she's know? a life coach and, and I'm not done with life yet. So that's an interesting That's very interesting. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, never I've never been heard to a of life something coach. like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not a therapist, but right. I don't know if I need a therapist. I don't think I do, but I think she, she might be a good fit. Well, we have a guest today that might be able to help you. <laughs> I mean, because I'm, I, I no, just, he's got a good story. I love this stuff. Well, all I, all I got to say is, um, Billy, never give up on anything. <laughs> I don't. So uh, news this week were just horrible with the uh, the um, crash at the uh the Christmas, at the Christmas parade in and Wisconsin. And that was about uh, 10, miles, 10 miles away from my aunt and uncle's house. Oh, yeah. my God. Another baby has died. Yeah. Another child. The sixth and kid. That would be uh, Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning, yes. Oh, yeah, I'm it was sorry. Wednesday. Wednesday morning, yes. Oh, yeah, Wednesday morning, I remember waking up, and they said that uh, was a five- or six-year-old yes. had succumbed. Yes, yeah. yes. But I, I, I just want to understand, how, how was this man out when he had already been, he was supposed to be in jail, but he paid a, a, what do you call it, bail to get out. How can we continue doing this? Well, what, I mean, what is gonna, what's it going to take, uh, Michael? I sure hope that uh, it doesn't take Milwaukee turning into San Francisco. Well, do you all heard the news of San Francisco Absolutely. and California? Have yeah. you heard what's no. going on over there? This 20 to 30 people get to get, or, uh, or thieves? 20 to 30 cars. 80 people. 80 people. It's uh, organized crime. And they crash into the stores and just yeah. go Not necessarily in? crash, well, but like they, they park out front and they run in and, and they rob in. the place and they got hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stuff. So a group of people like this running in, that's definitely called organized crime. Yes. Yeah. But but what's happening? Where where do we go from here? Because, you know, what happens if you have, if you're in the store and they go in and they harm you. I mean, you cannot go anywhere. You cannot go to the parade. You cannot go to the stores. You, what, what's going to happen? I want to know if some of these officials in California and San Francisco is particularly are getting paid by uh, crime bosses. So there, there's no consequences to their no. what they're doing? No consequences. No. No. And I just feel like if I did something like that, I would just get thrown under the bus. Probably. Be the end of my life mm-hmm. if I ever did anything remotely close to doing that. But yeah. do you realize that it affects the, the economy? Mm-hmm. Because these yeah. are big stores. I mean, they're sure. they're going to Saks Fifth Avenue. They're well, not going to Walmart. Well, anytime you give away something for free, it costs everyone more. Right. Just think about well, not to in. have a political twist robbed, to that. But when the place gets robbed and there's lots of robberies going on, insurance costs go up. Yeah. Then yeah. the cost of that gets passed on to the consumer, and then their 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 premium goes up, but, which also gets passed on. But that, yeah. the problem I have is there's no consequences. Yeah. And if they arrest them. They get out the next hour. Right, because there's no bail. There's no bail now. You know, California, it, it's well, okay. Well, you're innocent till proven guilty. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but, but, uh, Billy, I mean. If you're a, a danger to society, like you yeah. just raped a child, how? why would there be bail? I mean, why would there not be bail? Yeah. yeah. And if, if it's just like this guy that ran all these people. You know, you realize how many people he's killed and how many people are. And he was so, he was out on bail from trying to run over his baby mama. His baby mama. I oh. mean, this well, is practice, I guess. You know, just terrible. That it's terrible, and and it just happened. And that was everywhere. in Wisconsin. Yes, that was in Wisconsin. That was yeah. the parade, and the Christmas other ones are San Francisco, 
uh, where, where it was San there Francisco. There was someplace in, in uh, Southern California. Southern, I don't all know of it the is in California. That. Yeah. Because, well, no, not all no? of it. No, there's some stuff like that going on in uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh and New York. New York. Yeah. Here in Texas, we know what to use. Well, we don't do that here. I, yeah, well, well you, you say that, but that's right. there's some stories here, too. But oh, they're, yeah. They're yeah. coming with their ways. Well, I think, Billy, you're so cool on these things. I think that we have to, uh, this is what's happened. A lot of people just, because they're so busy, they don't understand what's going on out there in the world. No. It's a tough cookie. And whatever little bit of tidbit they can squeeze in to learn is, you know, whatever news channel you're watching. That's right. also another problem we have. Well, I, I watch the Jewish oh. uh, newspaper, I do <laughs> yeah. the Jewish Journal, the Enoch. Uh, okay. So you know, I, I I watch real news. I don't <laughs> watch any cable news. I don't um, either. I read the paper. <laughs> right. I do watch some YouTube stuff of some hosts on some of those shows that I like, but I don't. I mean, we could talk about this topic for an hour, but we could. I can flip through news channels. About, and they'll all be talking about the same topic, but they all talk about it way differently. And the only way I can even put together what actually happened is from flipping from all the stations, you know, even the a, ones I don't like. You know, there's a big swath of them, though, that talk about it exactly the same way. Yes. but and like that's because they were all on the morning call about how to phrase it. Yes. Phrasing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's about. Wordsmithing. Um, you know, like this guy who plowed into the crowd, I knew nothing of the guy the first day. Right. Nothing sure, about yeah. him. Uh-huh. And then come to find out, I know why the mainstream media wasn't painting a picture of this person yet right you know but if it was the other way around they would have painted a picture immediately yeah and i'm starting to see that be a trend now uh, depending on who they are they get some kind of coverage or protection or doubt that's a cast. 25 year trend my friend yeah and, and i think it's flipped you know from the eyes of both sides of this i think that perspective has flipped it used to be special treatment one way now it's special treatment another way you think so you we're not moving well, i don't think we're moving towards equality at all Oh no! Definitely oh no, not. no! 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 It's it's a it's a balance well, and it's a counterintuitive thing. So well, uh, Billy, it makes me happy to hear that you are paying attention to what's happening out there in the world. Besides yeah. getting un- it's been that way crawling for years. Under the, it really uh, under the homes. Hey, I crawl under houses. That's a nice place. Tranquility. <laughs> you know, I lay my head back as my. Ninth grade English teacher, you should say, Mr. Tatum, put your head down, take a tranquility you break. Sure people don't have skeletons underneath their house, too? I've seen skeletons, but they weren't people. <laughs> Except this one time I met this very creepy husband, still had his wife's dress hung up in the bedroom. <laughs> and she had left him years prior. Well, I was like, well, where is well. she at? He goes, well, I'm not supposed to know, but I think she's in Chicago. <laughs> and so when I was crawling underneath his house, I was just certain I was going to find her body. Oh, certain. dear. <laughs> It was a creepy customer. Wow, that should be like an ongoing segment for this show. I think so. Oh, guys, we could have a whole podcast dedicated That's to my that, job. Would that be Wild. fun? I yes. mean, I meet 700 different homeowners a year. Right. I have stories. Yeah. I Yikes. have stories. But anyway, what's, uh, before we go on break, I just want to say we got a good guest today. Oh, yes. Mr. Colin Cahoon. Is that Cahoon? Yep. Cahoon. Um, Cahoon. Sounds oh, like a country uh, western who was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. And I know that when we're talking about our vets, that they probably have something to say about what's going on today, all the things that we've just been discussing. And I'm sure they're just, they can't believe where we're at, given what they've sacrificed to get us here. His book is about the helicopter pilots. Yes. He wasn't the pilot. He was, he was a pilot for, 
for the uh, military. He'll tell us. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's no, hear what we he got a whole say. story. We're yes. going to have to do that when we come back. Wow, right? yes. And, and not up. only that, we're going to introduce him to Zach Brizeno, oh, our yeah. corporal from the Marine Corps. Do we talk about Zach every week since every he's live? Just about. I yeah. think yes. so. I mean, it was a pretty impactful show. Yeah. It was. It got and, me. And, 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 and if amazing. you're out there looking at our podcasts and you're wondering how you can find that Zach Brizeno show, you can just go just about go anywhere, Google Podcasts. Apple, iTunes, if they even call it iTunes anymore. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, just what go that out is. there and search for a podcast, Alexandra and Friends. You'll find it and then search, what was it, two months ago? It's it was, been at least two months. It was two months ago, yeah. Okay, so we're talking about September. September. Go look for Zach Brisenio as the guest. And yeah. go to our website and look at his wonderful picture that uh, our yeah. social. Uh, guru is Liz Castaneda, and she has done oh. an amazing, Hi, amazing Liz. job uh, with our website and our Facebook. So, Liz, thank you. We're going to talk to a man that interviewed 10 of our most wonderful veterans, Purple Heart members, that it's going to be very touching. So welcome to Mr. Colin P. Cajun. Thank you for being here this evening. Thank you. Yes, my pleasure, Alexander. So, Mr. Colin, tell us a little bit about yourself. I want to know how you got to the part where you interviewed 10 Purple Heart helicopter (laughs) pilots and... Where did you start out? Where, did, where were you born? How did you get into the service? What happened? Well, I was born in Fort Worth, Texas, which I guess makes me a native Texan. Oh, Texan-ian. my gosh. Also, a native no, Texan, yes. Right. Although my, my wife will argue with that because she, she says it takes more than that to be a native Texan. But anyway, so I... <laughs> more than it, Fort Worth? Well, I, I, <laughs> I grew up in New Mexico, and I guess that's a disqualifier. But um, hmm. So I, I, uh, I went to college at New Mexico State University on an ROTC scholarship and graduated in 1983, was commissioned in the Army as a second lieutenant, um, went to flight school at uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama. We affectionately called it Mother Rucker at the time. <laughs> yeah, I think it's still called that. <laughs> affectionately, probably. And um, after uh, graduating from flight school, I went into the 7th Infantry Division at Fort Ord, California, where I was a Aero Scout platoon leader. And uh, I was in the Army on active duty for five years and then Guard Reserves for a couple of years after that. But how it fits in with the minted wings is that when I was in flight school and also at my uh, first duty station at, at um, Fort Ord, California, all of the senior um, instructor pilots and the field grade officers and warrant officers, these are all Vietnam vets because, you know, the Vietnam War ended in 72, 73. And um, I just looked up to these guys. They... They were my heroes at the time. They taught me how to be the best Army aviator I could be, the best uh, Army helicopter pilot I could be. And, for example, when at Fort Rucker, when we'd walk out on the flight line, we were flying the old Hueys that you see in the mu- movies with the mm-hmm. skids on the bottom. And um, you'd walk out on the flight line, and these were the old Vietnam birds that they had brought back, and they all had little uh, square uh, patches on them that went over the holes that had been punched into them when they oh, were yeah. in combat. And you'd go out there with an instructor pilot, and you never knew what aircraft you're going to get. And sometimes you'd walk out, and he'd say, "Oh wow, six, seven, eight. Um, yeah, that's the aircraft I flew out of Camp Evans in 1969." And you could oh, see wow. he'd get a little teary, and you knew there was a connection there between the pilot and the aircraft that oh. brought him home over and over and over again safely. And I just thought, man, somebody needs to write stories about these guys. And it just, it took me forever to get there. I almost feel like apologizing because it, it, it wasn't until June of this year that the book finally came out. But um, And when did you first have this idea? Well, back, really back then in flight school in 1984, I yeah. got, had the idea of writing it. And the, 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 you know, I thought I wanted to do it about the lives of these guys, though. 
And, and that's really the way Mended Wings is structured, is I've got 10 chapters. There's 10 vets that are featured. Each vet has a chapter that is dedicated to them. And so you learn not only about their experience in Vietnam, but you also learn about their experiences prior to Vietnam. Uh, you learn about who they were growing up, going to high school, going to flight school. You learn about their experiences in Vietnam before they're hurt. And then I don't stop there because I think we need to understand their whole stories. And so I actually take the reader to, uh, you know, their recoveries. A lot of these guys were badly, badly injured. Uh, the first uh, chapter is dedicated to a, a gentleman who came back as a paraplegic. Then I take you forward all the way up to their struggles to get to where they are today and their successes and their triumphs. And, and uh, you know, today maybe retired in Montana with, with great-grandchildren kind of thing. So it's their whole life story. So let's talk a little bit just about you before we get to the book and why you wrote it. Are you married? I am. I'm, my wife, Susan, and I met at SME Law School in Complex Federal Litigation, which I just as a tip for guys out there, if you ever met or want to meet a really hot woman, just, you need to take Complex Federal Litigation at SME Law School. <laughs> I never would have thought of that. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's, a, it's a little trade secret that hey, I'm just going to throw out My there. definition of a hot lady would be an intelligent one. So oh, yeah. well, that there means you go. that and, and my wife is very intelligent. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So we met her at SMU Law, and we have uh, three uh, wonderful children. They're all grown. Uh, Claire, who's a lawyer down in Houston, and, and Paul, who's actually a first lieutenant uh, field artillery officer at Fort Bliss, Texas, who was home with us for Thanksgiving, and that was wonderful. And our youngest, Mary, just graduated from uh, Sewanee, Tennessee in May. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. wow. What an amazing family. Yeah. So you're an attorney by profession? Uh, yeah, so I, I was a, a patent attorney. Um, I'm, I've sort of slid out of that profession a little bit so I could write books, but uh, practice law at Carson's and Cahoon here in, in uh, mm. Dallas, Texas. Oh, my okay. God. So oh. you are that Cahoon. I'm the Cahoon on the Carson's and Cahoon. Yeah. yeah you've heard, okay. You've heard of firm. Okay. Right. I was wondering where that name kept going. Now I understand. <laughs> I understand. So tell us a little bit, when you served in the military, where were you stationed? What was your duties and what... Um, yeah. Well, uh, what what sure. was your journey like? Yeah, so uh, initially I was a air defense officer at Fort Bliss, Texas, going through their officer basic course. And then from there I went to flight school at uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama, and then uh, Fort Ord, California, Aero Scout platoon leader. And then eventually at Fort Ord I was in a, a VIP, what they call white top unit, where we flew generals around and stuff like that. And then, then I got it out. I did a year in the Guard in, in Grand Prairie and a year in the Reserves there as well. But I was in law school at the time and it, it just it got very difficult to, to keep doing that well thank you for your service well, what made you, you to go what made you go into law um you know that's a really good question i i think of this may sound bizarre but i think when i was in high school i wanted to be a lawyer <laughs> really <laughs> yeah and uh i i think it's because i was always getting in trouble and i figured that it would be good to be a lawyer so i could, <laughs> so I could get myself back out i see billy nodding his head i think well i was just thinking man i should have done that yeah. That would I was, be good. I was not pop. Well, it was popular in school, but not for the right reasons. So, <laughs> Billy has <laughs> Billy has this. Uh, Mr. Cohen, have you noticed that your your host next to you has this intense need to tell his need story. to tell his story? So <laughs> relatable story. Yeah. So he's got to get it out. Yeah, he's got to get it out, and I think you're bringing it out. You're bringing everything. Right. Out I wasn't going to say anything until you you know yeah. mentioned my body language, which I thought was okay to have on a radio show. <laughs> Without comment. Hilarious. <laughs> We're having a very good evening. Well, Mr. Cohund, so uh, is your wife also an attorney? 
Uh, yeah, she, she is. Um, we, we call her a recovering attorney because she doesn't practice anymore. But. I see, I see. So I have a question. Are all attorneys the same? Uh, no, they are not by any means. Yeah, I, uh, you know, as an example, I was a patent attorney, which means I had to have a, a technical degree to practice mm-hmm. law. So my mm-hmm. undergraduate degree is in chemical engineering. And the thing that there are even amongst patent attorneys, I mean, you have a lot of them who are are very uh, introvertish and mm-hmm. and maybe don't want to. I always say that you can you can tell you're talking to a, a extrovert patent attorney because um, he's looking at at your shoes instead of his own. But um, when he talks to you. <laughs> OK, I love that. Did uh, you hear that? Uh, yeah. Michael? And then I can't, there's, there's I can't a, see your shoes. So almost I'm took me a to, second. Yeah. I'm a hide man yeah. now. I'm <laughs> showing my boots today. And there's a dad joke in there, too, about patent leather. But I won't go there. OK, we'll just, we'll just leave that alone. Yeah. I like that joke. Come on, Mike. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit. Let's go back. You. This is your third book, correct? That's right. Yeah. Wow. So tell us a little bit about the first the first and second book that you had started, The Man with the Black Box. Yeah, so The Man with the Black Box is historical fiction. Um, it's 1905 in London primarily. Uh, it's the first Moroccan crisis. And the funny thing about The Man with the Black Box, I never intended to set out to be a, a writer, to be honest, but um, this was about 10, 10 or 12 years ago. I was uh, at staying at my in-law's house north of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, so very high in the mountains. And we don't need, when you hear the story, you don't need to tell me any like marijuana jokes or anything like that. But um, because, because there was one night where I had this incredible technicolor dream, like I had been put in the middle of a movie set and there was this man with a black box. Uh, and when adults looked into it, they died instantly. And when children looked into it, they went into a coma. And there was an inspector from Scotland Yard named Inspector Jenkins, and he's chasing them all around. Uh, London and New York, and there there were sights and smells, and it was just the most bizarre thing I'd ever experienced as a dream. And so that morning, I got up and I frantically wrote it all down because I forget dreams after about twenty four hours. And so I wrote the whole thing down on a yellow pad. And then that evening, I read it back to my family, and they the first thing they said was, "Well, Dad, that's really weird." <laughs> and then the the second thing they said was, "But you know, you should write a book." Yeah. And so initially, I just set out to write it all down as a book for the family, just as a remembrance of this weird dream that I had. And, um, uh, you know, I had a I had an editor that helped me with the book. And when we got done with it, she said, you know, Colin, I know you wanted to self-publish this, but would you please trust me? You need to send this to a publisher. Uh, this book needs to be done by a traditional publisher. And I really resisted that because I didn't want to go through the re- years of rejection and so forth. And Long story short, the second publisher we sent it to said we really want to do it, and it came out. And so that's the man with the black box. That's so cool. Um, that is so wait a minute, cool. Where's the yeah. marijuana joke there? Did I miss that? <laughs> no, <where's, laughs> people, people always say, yeah, you were smoking the oh, night before. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. I was no, going to no. ask yeah, that. What, uh, what no. medications were you yeah, on? Yeah. 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 yeah, he wasn't at high elevation. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't yeah. oxygen yeah. deprivation. Right. So. Right. There's, no. a, there's a lot of different ways you can I love a period fiction like me this. too and so i would totally jump on board with this book i had not heard of it i didn't before. know it was fiction i love i love war fiction for some reason that's one of my biggest books yeah. i read so yeah is well, it, it, but it's but that's you said 1905 1905 so yes yeah, it's it's prior to world war one mm-hmm. the, the first moroccan crisis almost kicked off world war one mm-hmm. and that that's part of the 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 rationale behind that book and the next one which is charlie calling which is a sequel which is 1908 which is um, the first Bosnian crisis, which almost again kicked off World War One, is these books give a sort of an alternative explanation as to why World War One started. Because gotcha. historians have struggled with that for years. It's such a bizarre 
war, you know, you, 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 it's almost like a, a train wreck waiting to happen. And it just finally falls, the train finally falls off the rails. Um, and so there is a little bit of that as where there's historical figures. There's Teddy Roosevelt's in there and Lord Lansdowne with the foreign office. And, right. you know, so, any, so your any, first any, two books were fiction. Then. Fiction. Okay. Yeah. And I had this book in the back of my mind and I kept saying, I knew, okay, well, now that you're a writer, Colin, you should write the book that you thought you should write back in 1984. <laughs> and, and particularly, you know, people don't realize it, but the youngest Vietnam vet helicopter pilots right now are in their seventies. Mm-hmm. They're all in their seventies wow. and eighties, yeah. right? That's true. Um, and so I wanted to. This book is my my uh, homage to them, and so I, I needed to do it while they're still around. Yeah. Uh, and so I just I broke genre and decided, okay, let's do nonfiction for the third book. And that's when I started working on uh, Minted Wings. Was about three years ago, and it just just came out in June. Well, just out of personal curiosity, which one's harder to write and? And I mean, research and everything. Is it easier to do the yeah, fiction? I've had that question before. Yeah. And honestly, I think fiction is easier for me to write. I don't know if it is for me. I, would, because, I actually thought it would be. Yeah, because it's more yeah. stream of consciousness. You know, nobody can say, well, that would, that didn't happen. Yes, right? You're no just one can making argue it up. You, yeah. Right. yeah, but nonfiction, you you got to be precise. And I knew that, you know, the, the Vietnam vet guys are very proud of their heritage and they're not going to let you mess around with it with inaccuracies. Um, and so I needed to get this right. So I, I actually traveled to Vietnam, spent a couple of weeks there. I did a ton of research. And of course, being a helicopter pilot helped tremendously because mm. I was able to speak the language and understand, you know, understand I, I know, I, yeah, I understand. I know how to auto rotate a Huey. I've done it myself. Um, obviously never because somebody you know shot my is. engine out, but I've, you know, <laughs> but I have, uh, but I've done it before. Um, and so it, it, to answer your question for me, yeah writing nonfiction takes more effort, more work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I thought so. The research and even maybe even double checking your sources sometimes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Is Charlie calling, you said is the continuation of the black of the man uh, with the black box. Yeah. Black, so that, so it's the same characters okay. that I carry him forward. It's just three years later and they're, they're still struggling with, with this um, mystery of the back black box. You know, what, what happens when you look into it? Where, where do you go? Why do you die? Why do, you know, when children look into it, why do they eventually die? You know, because from so coma. many questions, I guess yeah. I'm gonna have to read it. Right. Yeah. So before we go to the next uh, book, The Mended Wings, which I th- I'm just looking at this, tell us where we can find the man in the black and with the black box and Charlie calling. Those are Amazon or really anywhere books are sold. But um, and also you can always go to my website at www.colinpaul. Cahoon, C-A-H-O-O-N.com. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I think we need to do that. So thank you for joining us tonight. Our show is sponsored by Roberto Perez. What's the name of his company again? Miller, Miller Title. There we go. Did you say Perez? You sound just like no, Courtney. I said Perez. Oh. How dare you I bring your culture Perez. into her culture? <laughs> Yo, hablo. Espanol. This is, this is every time, Colin. Every this is time. why I don't bring us back, because I say Roberto <laughs> Perez, and she's like, Who? <laughs> They're not even going to know who you're talking about. By the way, Roberto is ha- uh, ha- is having a wonderful time in um, on his vacation. So he'll Roberto. be joining us real soon. Wonderful. So. so this is Michael Clark. I'm the producer and I'm a co-host today. And we've got Alexandra, the show host, sitting next to me. And across the table from me, we've got Billy Tatum of Structured Foundation. Hello. Horned his way in to be some kind of I don't know how I got up. I don't know how he ended I, up I here know. every Saturday night. And everybody right? loves him. I, I know, I mean, right? I'm unbelievable. It's cool. What I'm fine of, with it. What and kind of home life do today. I have where I'm here every Saturday night? <laughs> and our special <laughs> oh. guest this evening is Colin P. Cahoon. Yes. And he is an author and uh, a pilot. 
Can you, can you say former pilot? Do you still fly? Uh, I haven't flown in a while, so I'd, I'll okay. say former pilot. Former yeah. pilot. But you would if you could, right? If I could afford a, a Huey, I would, yeah, I'd yeah, fly it around. Yeah, that'd be all right. Nice. And a couple better bullet act. holes would be all right in it. And bullet holes are fine. Yeah. You know, yeah as long as it's, it's just the as long as the engine's running. That's right. Wonderful. Well, during our break, I went to look at one of your books on Amazon. I went to look at the man in the, with the black box. And I mean, all five star reviews. Yes. So. Well, wait till you start reading on the amended wings. I mean, very wonderful reviews. So, so let's talk a little bit about Vietnam, Captain. I was I grew up during the Vietnam War, and I think it was the worst war for our soldiers in the whole world because nobody appreciated them when they came back, and we, it was a war that was uh, t- that turned into a political yes uh, into a pol- political pit of snakes, and we had uh, very bad leadership at that time also. Yeah. So, who always suffers during the war the wars when we win or we don't win? It's our soldiers and their families because yeah. the families were treated as bad as the. Um, as a military. So tell us a little bit about Vietnam. How did you um, decide to write this wonderful book called Mended Wings? What is What was the journey like through this with 10 soldiers that you work with, that you interviewed and that their families and all that information. Tell us a little bit yeah. about each person as, as you went through your interviews yeah. and we're going to listen. And uh, Billy, if you have any questions, jump in. Well, I want to listen too. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to distract them. Alexander, you, I think you hit something very important with this particular generation, the Vietnam vet generation, and how we treated them. You know, sometimes they may ask, what's the difference between, say, the World War II generation and the Vietnam vet generation? Oh. And the World War II generation, we call them the greatest generation. And I think that that tag is well earned. Uh, they did a fantastic job. They all uh, uh, contributed magnificently. But the difference is when they came home, they got ticker tape parades. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. and they got told thank you, and uh, you maybe a World War II vet wouldn't want to talk to you about what happened because it was mm-hmm. very tragic, and they went through some terrible experiences. Mm-hmm. But you certainly knew who they were. They were proud of their service. Now let's go to Vietnam. Um, when these guys and some gals came home, they we not only did we not celebrate them, uh, but we abused them. Uh, and Aaron. that's why in the book I call them the forgotten generation. And I think a better adjective upon reflection is the abused generation. Abused yeah. generation. Yeah. They were um, kind of shamed, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. They were. Everybody said, you know, you came home and you're a baby killer, and we don't want to associate. It with was you. horrible. And so they they internalized it all, and they they we humbled them, and so they kind of kept their stories inside them. And so part of the purpose of Mended Wings is is to a remind the public and the readers about what we did to these guys and, and to show how they triumphed despite that and to honor them. But also, um, B, I think it's, this, this was kind of surprising to me, but the book has been cathartic apparently to a lot of Vietnam vets who've read it. It's pulled a lot of wounds off of some of them, and certainly it was very hard on the guys that I feature these 10 guys in here. This was a very difficult journey for them. To go through, but um, to illustrate this point, Alexander, I, I want to talk about one of the guys in the book. He's my chapter five vet, and his name is Eddie Hester. And uh, Eddie is a very interesting guy. He was one of seven brothers who grew up in California. That's what the, the chapter's called, the youngest Hester brother. Had a very funny um, childhood growing up, and and then he goes to Vietnam, and uh, it's it's a very rough experience for him. He's a lift pilot. He, he witnessed uh, a lot of his friends die. Two of his friends, he had to go to graves registration and identify their bodies. And one of them uh, was so badly burned that he couldn't be identified. And he still, to this day, has that 
um, smell in his head that he can't get rid of. He got two Purple Hearts while he was in Vietnam. And the mission he was on that's featured in the book, he's a part of a flight of four Hueys that need to go and rescue some South Vietnamese army soldiers who are in the jungle in a running firefight, and about half the unit is wounded, and they're about to be overrun and killed, and so they got to get them out. There's no landing zone around, so they cut one out of the jungle, which was sort of typical in Vietnam, uh, which leaves tree stumps. So it was just big enough for one helicopter to fit in, but it couldn't land. It had to stay there to hover and because of the tree stumps in there. So Eddie's the second aircraft to go in. The first aircraft is badly shot up. As Eddie's on approach, his uh, seatbelt that's holding him into his seat is shot away from his body. Mm. But uh, he doesn't even know it because he's pulling so many Gs coming into the LZ. Mm. He comes to a hover, and now he's trying to focus on a tree stump to keep his hover in one position. And as he's on a hover and they're throwing these bodies on the back of his aircraft, uh, he feels what he describes as uh, as if someone is beating him on the chest with a ball-peen hammer. And what's happening is there is a enemy machine gun that's just 10 yards away from the aircraft that's firing into his cockpit at point-blank range. Oh, and it's, uh, it's hitting the armor plating around his seat. It's hitting the armor vest that he's wearing. They call them chicken plates. Uh, and uh, it's really starting to abuse his body. He feels blood running down his forehead, and it starts to get in his eyes. He's having difficulty focusing on the tree stump in front of him. So he uh, turn, He tells his co-pilot, you have the controls. He doesn't get a response, and he turns to look and says it again, and his co-pilot's head is uh, draped forward, so he assumes his co-pilot is dead. And the, the fact that he was able, and I won't go into a lot of the details after that, but the fact that he was able to get that aircraft out of that LZ, fully loaded with wounded soldiers, and fly that aircraft with the help of his crew chief, who became his eyes, um, fly that aircraft back to the hospital is, is truly an amazing story. Wow. Um, but he, he experienced things like that in Vietnam. He did a full, complete tour. And the reason I wanted to use Eddie Hester as an example and give uh, your listeners that background is when he came home, um, this, this would have been, you know, 69, 70. Uh, when he came home, um, back then, and you'll remember this, Alexander, that the, if you were in the military, everybody knew it because your sh- hair was very short. And uh, gentlemen, boys, men that age, if they weren't in the military, they usually wanted to make that point, and so they grew their hair long. So it was very easy to tell who was in the military mm-hmm. and who wasn't. Mm-hmm. And Eddie was walking through the LAX airport in civilian clothes on his way home, and another young man about his age with long hair walked up to him, and he spit on him. Now, this is after all he experienced and mm-hmm. went through for his country <clears throat> and all he left behind uh, emotionally and, and physically in Vietnam. He had a, a month's leave. He goes uh, to his parents' house, and after being there for less than two weeks, he tells his mother and father, uh, you know, I, I love you guys. I love being in your house, but I can't stand it here anymore. The girls I dated in high school won't have anything to do with me. Uh, my male friends in high school think I'm a baby killer. And um, so I'm going to Germany early, which is where his next duty assignment was, and he cut his leave short, and he left America and went wow. to Germany. And, you know, uh, he was ready to come home to America. America was not ready to come home, for him to come home. And there's there's no difference, really, in these soldiers than the World War II soldiers. They're following orders. They're doing what exactly. they're told, and they're doing their yeah. duties. They're, they, and they're dying for These it. are all heroes. These are all people yeah. that are sacrificing for America, and we treated them so differently. And so where, where I want to conclude this, this little segment on Eddie Hester is, for your listeners out there, 
always say when you see the guys with the with the Vietnam uh, veteran caps on, which, as you know, Alexander, you wouldn't have seen 20, 30 years ago. They, they were still kind of in hiding, so to speak. Yeah. And fortunately, we're just now letting them to come out. When you see someone with a Vietnam uh, veteran cap on, I, I would ask your listeners to do two things. One is uh, come up and say thank you for your service. That's That's a given. But there's something else you can tell them which is very meaningful to a Vietnam vet. Tell them welcome home. Welcome home. That's all you got to say because they didn't hear that when they came yeah. home, and uh, I think it's it's well overdue. Captain, one thing I want to uh, and Vietnam is very emotional for me because I I was raised through during that period and I saw it, many things happen like that. But I believe the media was terrible. Yeah. And what was her name? Tokyo girl. What was her name? Um, Jane Fonda. Jane yeah. Fonda was should have been put away with treason and Almost put in jail. Treason. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is our leadership was horrible. Mm-hmm. They, did, they just ignored our, our military. So what do you tell? So uh, I see that you have 10 wonderful names on the first on page number 12 of all the uh, that you interviewed. So each one has his own story yep. and it has their own journey. And I'm sorry, but it just takes a toll on me because <laughs> I remember I've, my my friends, they used you know we, it was the time that we all the young people were against the Vietnam War and you had the media going crazy. But as a family that was in the military, we took it also. You know, the kids were not having much to do with us and things like that. But how do you, as you talk to these people, was your heart heavy to know that we? just didn't take care of them. We still don't take care of them. Yeah. It, and, um, you know, there's, there's a question of how do you, how do you get them to tell your stories? Right. Um, because uh, they've been holding back all these years and I think it helped that I was a helicopter pilot and I was definitely younger than them, you know, having graduated from high school in 79, but they looked at me kind of like their kid brother. I think I did manage to get them to, to tell me a lot of things that they didn't tell a lot of, but in fact, when I was writing this book, I would do a chapter at a time. And these, by the way, these chapters are in chronological order. So this is really a nice primer for the Vietnam War if you want to sort of get a basics on it because there's historical bridges between each one and it spans the whole war from 66 to the end of 72. Um, there's a chapter that goes through kind of every single period. Um, but when I was finished, when I finished a chapter, I would send it to each vet. I wasn't required to because they're under contract and I could have really written anything I wanted to, but I, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be bought into the, the process. So I'd send them the chapter to review and I'd say, you know, let me know what you think. Let me know if I didn't get it right. And it wasn't unusual for me to not hear from that vet for four, six, eight weeks. And then finally I'd get a phone call and typically it would go something along the lines of, Colin, um, I'm sorry it took me so long to call you. Um, first of all, I want to let you know that, that I think you got it right. You know, you nailed it. You, you got my life down. Thank you very much. You did a fantastic job. But the reason it took me so long to call you is because um, it was very painful for me to read. And it was like uh, opening up scabs again. And so it just took me a while to, to get up the strength to call you. And then they would usually say further, um, you know, there are things in this book that that I'm not sure I'm comfortable having in here because I've never told anybody, not even my wife. And of course, then we'd have a discussion about, well, first of all, you need to tell your wife, we need to get her into the book as well. Uh, but secondly, will you please consider keeping this in the book? Because this is not only about you, 
but it's about your generation. And people need to understand what your generation went through. And usually, by and large, almost all the details end up in the book. Well, I this can, is I can only assume that helps others <laughs> when they read those things and think, you know what? I've never told people those things. Exactly. Yeah. Well, when we come back, I want to know about the luckiest damned soldier on chapter number one. <laughs> yeah. I'd really like to hear from it. This is Alexander <laughs> France 660. The answer to this show is brought to you by Roberto Perez. And I'm I'm saying Perez like uh, like <laughs> Michael and Billy say Perez oh, and Courtney Perez. Shame. And we want to welcome uh, our again Captain Colin Cahoon for this wonderful uh, book, Mended Wings. It's a nonfiction account of ten different war. I'm sorry, Vietnam War Purple Heart helicopter pilots. And I'm I'm reading reviews on this book on Amazon, and it's all five stars. All five stars. This I just is, bought it during the break. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, I yeah. think I'm gonna buy <laughs> well, a hard you. copy book and give it to my grandfather. He would love this book. My father-in-law is totally into everything Vietnam. He has a big collection. Oh yeah. Most of my family's into anything you know war-related. So this is these are great gifts to give out uh, to people who have served and people who care about those that have served. And uh, Colin, let's get back to you and this book. I, you know, one thing I wasn't really clear about when you switched from. This book was always on your mind. Writing yep. this nonfiction has always been on your mind. But yep. in that moment when you decided, I'm going to do it, what did you have to change in your life or what did you have to do to facilitate this? I think I just had to say, just do it. You know? yeah. yeah. What were the sacrifices for doing that? Oh, well, time. I mean, it just it took a lot of time. But I was starting to, to slow down my patent practice. And so I had a little extra time. And uh, I just, you know, spent a lot of time on weekends and stuff like that trying to do the research and contact the vets and, um, you know, put it all together. I imagine your wife had, uh, was helpful. Or, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And she, and she's the best editor on this planet. So I'm blessed. So she helped been, you. Yeah, had been married. Yeah. All oh, the she, way. Well, yeah, I, I would send a chapter over to her and she'd bleed all over it and, and send it back. And, you know, and I say, yeah, you're right. There's some things that need to be fixed here. So, so it took, yeah. it takes a team. It takes a team. Yes, yeah. It does to put a book together. Amazing. Yeah. Well, um, you told us about Eddie, and I, I already kind of read most of that chapter. I was sitting here looking at his pictures and reading some of that story. I can't wait. Now that I know these are 10 individual stories, that's going to be much easier for me to read. With, yeah, because, it is one a night, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, I get in trouble reading books. My wife gets on oh. to me, so I take too much time. But, no, this would be a great read. I encourage everyone to grab it. But tell us another story from this book, someone that really touched your heart. Yeah, well, Alexandra yeah, mentioned Pruitt Helm. I'm I'm delighted to talk to him because he's, yeah. he's one of my favorite guys, and they're, they're, I love them all. But Pruitt is my chapter one guy. As I said, the book is in chronological order, and he was injured in 1966. So Pruitt grew up in Colorado, in Aurora, Colorado. He watched the aircraft take off from Stapleton when he was a little kid. Always wanted to be a, a pilot. His dad was a, a CB who was at Pearl Harbor when it was bombed. Uh, but he was a blue collar guy, and and uh, Pruitt said, "I want you know, I want that sort of white collar life when I grow up." Uh, like a lot of these guys in the book, it, it's interesting. Uh, helicopter pilots, for some reason, they're all really bright guys, but most of them uh, don't excel in high school. They're way more interested in other things like uh, cars and girls and beers. Just a lot more fun. Billy shaking his head. I think he's probably been there himself, but. <laughs> And so Pruitt didn't have very good grades. He couldn't get into college, and he thought, well, you know, how am I going to be a pilot? He ended up knocking around as, uh, you know, at Breckenridge um, as a, doing ski instruction and stuff, up his ski bum, we'd call him today. Eventually got in the National Guard. He was trying to take private pilot license or private pilot lessons, and he figured out, you know, if the Army could teach me, they've got this high school to flight school program, 
that'd be a lot cheaper way to go. So he signed up for that. He, he went through uh, flight training, did a tour in Korea where he uh, was a general's personal pilot who liked to pheasant hunt. So he used to carry a shotgun in the helicopter and Pruitt would let him off. And then Pruitt was the bird dog that would flush the pheasants and he'd shoot the pheasants. Uh, but eventually he ended up in the 4th Infantry Division as it was gearing up for Vietnam and became a uh, Huey C-model gunship pilot, which was the, the, the Hueys, but configured with rocket pods on the side so that they could do close air support. And we fast forward to the mission in the book that's detailed in the book. Um, there's a special forces unit near the Cambodian border that has uh, been in a, a, a surrounded and been in a firefight, and they're about to be annihilated. So the Army sends in reinforcements. They send in grunts to go help them, and they've got a... a, a 10 aircraft lift, so 10 Hueys are going to lift in reinforcements, and they're supported by six gunships, one of which is is Pruitt's. And initially, they're going to go into a very large landing zone, LZ, and all the aircraft can fit in there at once. Fortuitously, uh, somebody decided to change the landing zone at the last minute and go to a smaller one that could only fit five. And the reason that was fortuitous is because the North Vietnamese had changed uh, tactics for this particular battle. Normally, they put their machine guns around the periphery of the LZ. Uh, they thought, but the problem with that is, is the Huey gunships come in and they suppress them. They fire the rockets into the periphery while the Hueys are landing crews in the middle. So they thought, well, what if we dug holes in the landing zone and we put our machine guns into the holes and put lids over the top, and that way when the Hueys come in for landing and they flare and they show their bellies, we pop open the top of the holes, and now we're firing into the bellies of the aircraft. We'll wipe out the Hueys, and the gunships can't do anything because they can't fire into the LZ. They'll be killing their own people. Fortunately, they didn't go into that landing zone trap. They went to another landing zone, but that infuriated the North Vietnamese gunners who then had nobody to take their fury out on except these uh, gunships that are circling around. And they, during the course of the battle, they actually shot three down. Um, Pruitt's gunship went through the barrage for, uh, and came out the other side smoking with holes in it and crew members injured. Mm-hmm. I think we were all said, your day's done. You probably got to go home at that point. But that's not the way Army helicopter pilots work. They're there to support the ground troops. And so they turned around and went back into the battle. As they came back around, the aircraft in front of them blew up into a, a ball of orange fire. Um, they flew back into the barrage, and they were shot down. They crash-landed into the jungle. Their aircraft exploded uh, into a ball of fire after it hit. Uh, just mm-hmm. shortly after somebody drug Pruitt out of the aircraft, he now has a broken back and can't walk. All of the crew members are, are injured. Some of them are badly burned, uh, two broken backs, and they're in the middle of a firefight. They spend the next day and a half in the middle of a firefight, literally the good guys on one side and the bad guys on the other, and bullets flying and artillery and all kinds of stuff. With broken backs With and broken all. With broken backs and all. Wow. And, and no water. Um, and the uh, eventually they're, they're saved. The, the, the um, rescue is rather surreal. I could go into a lot of details about that, but it'd take a while. Uh, and Pruitt is brought back to Saigon, uh, because his kidneys are failing because of his lack of water and all his injuries. And the problem is there are, there are no dialysis machines yet in Vietnam. There's one on a ship uh, in the Saigon Harbor that had been shipped from Japan, but as Pruitt is, is passing it, losing consciousness, and has refused his last rites because he doesn't want to give up, the doctor says, uh, Pruitt, I don't know if we can save you, uh, because unless that, uh, we can get that dialysis machine off that ship in a hurry, you're a dead man. 
fortunately, it was the Dallas machine was the last uh, thing loaded on the ship in Japan and the first item off yeah. in Saigon. They managed to, to get Pruitt uh, alive that time. And as he came back, too, they told him he's the luckiest damn soldier in Vietnam. Uh, he almost died again en route back to America. And there's a, a lot of the story there. And when he woke up from that one, they told him he was the luckiest damn soldier in the hospital. Um, so that's why the, the chapter's titled The Luckiest Damn Soldier. But Heard it twice in the yeah. same instance. Yeah. Eventually, he gets back to Aurora, Colorado. He refuses to be wheelchair-bound, teaches himself how to walk with the arm and leg braces. Mm. Fortunately, he had a father who insisted that he get back in the game and uh, took him to the gym, started to work him out. Pruitt always loved to go fishing and camping with his dad. How do you do that when you're a paraplegic in, in the 1960s? We didn't have ATVs back then, right? but we had horses, and so neither guy knew anything about horses, but they mm. went out and they got some horses and taught Pruitt how to get on using a tree as a winch, you know, with ropes. Yep. Uh, and so he started going back into the woods with his dad, got a job with the Federal Aviation Administration as a air traffic controller, and was eventually recognized by Pat Nixon, the uh, first lady, as the handicap employee of the year. I uh, thought you were going to say that he was recognized yeah. as the luckiest damn air traffic yeah, controller. Yeah, luckiest <laughs> damn air traffic controller. He, he is. is. He yeah. is. He is, yeah. He, he lived an amazing life. Even after he retired, he had a business and developed things and, and was a leader in mono skiing for paraplegics. He's just a fantastic Amazing guy, and I was so blessed to be able to tell his Sounds story. Sounds like a Zach yeah. story almost. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. Yes. It's yes. wonderful. So, Colin, I noticed that, and, and Alexandria and Mike not be able to see this, but your copy of your book, you've got a lot of little uh, paper book marks tabs here, little in there. tabs yeah. in your That's because I've been doing a, a lot of uh, interviews and stuff, and so sometimes the, they'll kind of like try to stump the author. And, uh, so I've got my quick tabs, you know, well, like, in the last hey, yeah. few minutes we have, what have we not asked you? What, what, what are your, what part of your book that you, do you want to reference or mention? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, just, you know, as, as I mentioned, just to give you an idea of the structure, we've got those 10 chapters, 10 guys, they're all, their stories are all different. They're all amazing. Um, some of them were wounded very badly, some not so badly, but they all have amazing stories, including chapter seven. My chapter, Bro Clyde was one of the very, very few black helicopter pilots in the army at the time. Uh, so his, his story is very interesting. And then I've got historical bridges between each chapter that tell you what's going on. So as I said, this is a a good primer for the Vietnam war as well. Pretty comprehensive. Um, And of course we've got pictures in there and so forth. And, And so I think it's a good. It's a good way to learn about this generation. My purpose was to tell you about this generation, and I would commend everybody to, um, you know, you can go to Amazon for that. Also, I do want to mention that we just started uh, a a special that we're going to run through December 15th. If you go to my website at www.colinpaulcahoon.com, if you order before December 15th, it's a little more expensive because of the postage and handling. But if you order it from the website, I can actually get you a signed copy. So if oh, you if you want somebody wonderful. that you want to sign that copies that, uh, to We're, for and, Christmas. And yeah. the likelihood of there being other pilots out there is pretty good because in the in the prologue of your book, the first thing you talk about is 40,000 helicopter pilots in Vietnam, right? Yes, and interestingly, I've met thousands of them literally and it is the extremely, extremely rare helicopter pilot in Vietnam, particularly ones in combat. In fact, I don't think I've ever met one who went into combat who wasn't shot down at least once. And most of them were shot down multiple, multiple times. But wow. We're going to have And Liz. live to fly and get shot down again. Yeah, that's right. We're going to have Liz Costaneta, our, our social guru, 
to go in and, and really do an amazing review on your book. And one thing I'm going to say before we go, would you say the leadership in our country at that time was terrible? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this this was a, this was a political war, and instead of taking it out on the politicians, although Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson decided he couldn't run again because of it, mm. so maybe that we did take it out on bit, but we we disproportionately took it out on the soldiers the who were just doing the their orders. job. Yeah, they yeah. were just following the orders. Yeah, well, no doubt. it always you can always tell from one person that leader to the second the other leader that they're kind of in the same level. So that's just that's just my my thought. Okay, I'm not going to put you into it, but. I just think the leadership, and he became president because we lost our, our president that we had. John F. Kennedy was at that time assass- assassinated, and mm-hmm. that was the only reason he became president and ruined our country but and our soldiers. Would you say the consensus is the same with all the people you've interviewed for this book? Oh, their, as far as their, leadership Their goes? view on the politics and the leadership. Oh, yeah, but it was politics at the highest military level, too. I think the oh, generals yeah. were complicit oh, yeah. in a lot of that. I agree yeah. with that. They, they were, otherwise, they would have advised differently. Unfortunately, I see a lot of the same thing mirrored today. Mirrored today, yes. So again, guys, remember, Colin can get you an autographed book, and his website is www.colinpcahoon.com, and that's C-O-L-I-N-P-C-A-H-O-O-N, not Calhoun, but Calhoun. Right, and that's before Before the 15th of December. Before the 15th 15th of December, December. you can get an autographed version of that. And And we uh, got an autographed. I got one. Oh, I got one, too. he even wrote it to me. Oh, yes. Well, thank you, know you so much. My grandfather's name is also Billy Tatum, so maybe I'll just slip him this one. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I'll get me the hard Thank you so much for shelf. a wonderful evening again. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you, pleasure. and thank you to all our soldiers that have served in the military, Vietnam, Korea, World War One, World War Two, Confederate, anything, all our militaries, <laughs> Confederate. Confederate soldiers, yes. So we thank you so very much for this evening. You made, you made me cry because of the wonderful work you have done. Thank you for bringing their stories and their journeys. I will read this. I'll (laughs) probably read all of it over Thanksgiving. We appreciate you being here tonight. This is Alexandra and Friends 660 The Answer. Please go to alexandraandfriends.com. Go to our Facebook, Alexandra and Friends 660. Our podcast is in any of the social medias you want to use. And tell us how you like our program. And we appreciate you having this evening with us. Thank you for listening to our program. Good night. Good night. Good night. You've been listening to Alexandra and Friends, the podcast. Reach out to us on Facebook at Alexandra and Friends or write us an email, alexandraandfriends660 at gmail.com. Be sure to mark us as one of your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode.